This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Balls. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, barring instant, is Lyle Fulton, and I am joined by the absolutely wonderful Jackie Balls. Jackie, a Jackie Balls listener, by the way, who we find on the eve, the eve of a massive day in the life of Jackie Balls. We're closing in now. We are mere two, two and a half weeks, whatever the timeline. We don't want to date the podcast. Time is um, ticking. Time is ticking. How is it going? How are you? How are you feeling? Is everything in place? Are you ready? I'm very excited. How are you getting on? Well, is everything in place? I have list after list after list. I can be sure that nothing is off a list. That I, everything is on the list. Sure. It's just a question of making sure I abide by the lists. Sure. <laughs> Where, Stick where to the lists. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. fair enough. I mean, there's there's always so much, so many moving parts. And I actually retrospectively wish I'd made more lists. I'm sure Alice did. Uh, I'm 100%. Sure Alice did. Didn't Alice do it all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. But, you know, I, I, it was one of those where, like, on the day, there were things I definitely did where I was like, please, these be okay. Because there's absolutely <laughs> no excuses that these can't be okay i've just found that james <laughs> james is seriously sort of oh i need to look at that menu now and i need to do this now and i need to have sort of tell me what the running order of the day is and i've I, literally i've written everything out the menu is is ready to go to the printers The you know it, it's just everything is done but it's only now that the groom needs to have to have no, a say sure. what's going no. on <laughs> quite happy to let me do all the groundwork and then sort of come in with the the nod of approval <laughs> I'm very, very excited, and I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who's going to the wedding, but I'm just saying, we're driving there. Alice and I, my wife, are driving there first thing in the morning, driving down. The guitar will be in the car. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm holding my hands up, right? You know, we, we haven't rehearsed. We've both been so busy. And we haven't rehearsed anything. But if it just decides to just make an appearance, you know, I do play at weddings. Uh, you know, it's, it would not be odd. But yeah, oh, I'm very, very excited. There's no really effective way to segue here listeners because it's a very very joyous day that we've just been speaking about um i'm sure it's gonna be an absolutely magnificent oh day. you want to talk about my horror story oh yeah well no actually i wasn't gonna but let's let's talk about this horror story first, oh, I... first. <laughs> yeah but no but you're so right i mean you know i think i think we're gonna go concurrently through horror stories one that's very much been in the public eye but that's a great kind of odd segue let's i mean great's the wrong word but let's let's go from like you know a horror story that's more kind of insular but still just as important and significant and then we'll embark on what we're going to talk about in this episode, listeners, which I'm sure you've been aware of over the last few weeks. But I mean, normally I ask you, how have you been? How's your week been? How's your last few weeks been? And it's like, yeah, it's been going good, pretty busy. But something mad and really, really awful happened to you a couple of weeks ago. Do you want to explain to the listeners what went down? It just, it was just the weirdest, weirdest thing. It's just, it, it, experiences like this make you realise not to sweat the small stuff. You know, when something that's that's quite shocking happens to you, you kind of get a little bit of, you know, reality check and a sense check. Yet, yeah, So just to not sort of elaborate too much on it, but I, I was having a lovely Saturday afternoon in my front room with my dog at my feet writing. And the next minute the dog goes crazy and runs through to the kitchen. And as a beautiful Saturday, sort of sunny afternoon, I had all the kitchen doors open onto the garden and I thought the dog could, was barking at a cat that had wandered in or a pigeon that had come in. But when I came through, I found that it was uh, there was a 
a man mountain standing in my kitchen <laughs> right in front of me and quite shockingly I couldn't understand why he was there the, your first things what's this man doing in my kitchen yeah absolutely um, dog's going mad so I'm holding on to the dog and he's like really going for it and I very fruitily in in not so uncertain terms using liberal dashings of swear words told him to get out of my kitchen yes frequently I kept telling him to get out of my kitchen not so politely um holding said dog who's going mad and he wouldn't move he wouldn't go anywhere and I was starting to get scared then and then I looked down at the dog and I just thought, right, I'm going to use you. <laughs> so I just said to him, if you don't get out of my kitchen, I'm going to set the dog on you. And he did then back out. But he only backed out a certain amount, only sort of two or three foot in front of me while I closed the kitchen doors, still screaming at him. And it was only when I picked up the phone that to phone the police that he actually did make his departure. But it was a really, it was a, it was a fleetingly shocking kind of, very frightening experience and it sort of brought home a number of things you know that this this guy was a big guy he could have he was bigger than me he could easily have overpowered me if I tried to fight him off or grab a kitchen knife or something like that and the other thing was that you know my dog is my absolute hero and I love it the fact that you know I think we were talking about it earlier because Ludo is a constant presence constant silent presence yeah he's not really silent he groans and he farts and he does all sorts of things (laughs) but um, but he's a constant presence in our podcast we're often saying in our podcasts you know if Ludo makes a noise you know that's because he's in in the room with me yeah Um, but yeah that I was emboldened by his being by my side and protecting me. And and he really was protecting me. He was really playing his part. And And never again now will we, you know, when Ludo makes the odd noise, never again will we (laughs) dare to chastise the hero. No, only he's in fact, Lyle, you were asking me if I was badly affected after the whole event, if I had any sort of PTSD or anything. I don't, because I found out the backstory as to why the guy was there in, in the first place. And it turns out he was on the run. He was running away from police. Crazy. And the police came really, really quickly because they were literally down the road looking for him. Yeah. And it was just a fluke. It was one of these fluky kind of things that could happen, could have happened to anybody in, mm. in my road. And it was just me that it happened to. Um, But it does make you think, everybody, just um, bear in mind, you know, when your doors and windows are open, you're open to the world. So, you know, try not to um, leave your doors and windows open unaccompanied. (laughs) Yeah, but also, Um, I mean, just, I mean, thank goodness that, you know, Luda was there. And and also thank goodness that, I mean, we discussed before we went live on this episode as well, listeners, that, you know, sometimes I was about to say things happen for a reason but obviously this didn't happen for any specific reason I mean that's you know I don't I'm not a believer in that in this particular case but it's strange how the world works I mean the fact that you know you'd think from an outside perspective the fact that you were on your own other than with Ludo would be in some way a, a bad thing or a dangerous thing but you remarked before you oh, came on that you yeah. were actually quite fortunate that it was just you because I think it was you fortunate. acted a certain way because it was just yourself you know yeah if my if my son was in the house or if my if my fiance can't say that for very much longer, exactly. but if James was in the house, then um, who knows what could have transpired? Yeah. I might have acted a lot differently. Things could have got out of hand. So, just the fact it was me and my dog was, I think, the best thing. And you know, just very lucky to have. I mean, this is another thing. I've I've always been very conscious of the fact that my dog is a big dog, 
and I often curse and get annoyed with myself for having a big dog sometimes because they are a real responsibility. They can, I mean, he can do some damage if he wants to. And this is, I'm going to get on a little soapbox now. So mm. if you're a dog owner and you have people telling you that their dog is reactive and mm. they might bite your dog if your dog, that if your dog keeps pestering them, mm. don't say, oh, it's all right. He needs a bit of keeping in check or it's all right. He, that'll learn him. No, don't do that to people with reactive dogs because we know how they are quite, they can be quite mm. dangerous and they could bite your dog and do some damage. And I don't yeah. want my dog to do anybody any damage except potential intruders. Except to intruders of the house. Yeah, yeah. so I've often, I've often really felt that responsibility for having, you know, a strong reactive dog. But that afternoon, mm. I was thanking God I had a strong Thank reactive. goodness. Thank yeah. goodness. And And yeah, I mean... There are many, many takeaways uh, from from this particular story, but two that just spring to mind immediately are Ludo, amazing, heroic, and obviously if you have dogs, that's fantastic. And also, I'm just super proud of you for not using said fruity language on this recording of the podcast. Um, (laughs) uh, Before we went live, there was lots of it. Uh, I'm just just throwing that out there, listeners. Um, There may yet be some fruity language in what we're about to discuss, listeners, because we are finally taking this one on the road. We love having guests on as we always say but we're also really really maybe appreciative of the time jackie and i have when we can just talk about sort of a current affairs story a current news story and it would be remiss of us not to offer some sort of opinion and some sort of you know response to the big news story of, of recent weeks without wishing to take the podcast which is obviously the bbc presenter scandal and i'm i'm going to use that phrase instead of the obvious phrase because let's call a spade a spade that is for that for 96 hours that is what it was it was a bbc presenter scandal we've obviously since learned that it's going to hence- well, let's let's position this for yeah. foreign listeners for people yes. in other countries who haven't been subject to our course, delightful yeah. red top media yeah. oh, gosh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so another scandal has happened with the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, and one of their presenters. Mm. So we've talked about BBC before with the Gary Lineker situation, and we've talked about ITV before with another one of their presenter, Philip Schofield, getting himself into trouble. So this particular presenter, another very famous presenter in the UK, and anybody listening from abroad must think, have we just got a bunch of really odd presenters going on in, in the UK? And you're right, mm. I think. We have a lot of old dinosaur presenters that yeah. possibly should be just so making way. Clearly very odd personalities. Well. Yeah, exactly. With, yeah. with some, you know, maybe slightly better behaviour. But anyway, so we've got this new story about a presenter called Hugh Edwards, who's been reading the news and presenting on BBC for decades. He's, a, he's an older fellow from Wales and was held in pretty high esteem by everybody really you know he's a he's obviously a very clever mm. person uh, had huge credibility within the BBC um, long serving public figure and what happened was there was an allegation made against him and at the time the allegation was made he wasn't named because of UK law that they they can't out the name of the person when allegations have been made. Um, it's only when they have been found culpable of uh, the allegations that would you be allowed to pr- to give out the presenter's name. Mm. It's all about personal privacy and everything else. And generally, 
I agree with that. I think it's horrible to hang people out to dry for an allegation that hangs over them. And there's been lots of people who've been found uh, not guilty, but still hung for the allegation anyway. I remember Cliff Richard um, in times past. Loads of other stories. But anyway, we're talking about this one. So um, for a number of days, it was Guess the Presenter going on in the media lots of debate about who could it be and a lot of other presenters were being named and shamed when it wasn't them at all so eventually this particular presenter Hugh Edwards wife came out and made a statement say he was the man in question he was the man being investigated so what were the allegations well there were allegations that he had paid a young man for photographs, uh, compromising photographs of the young man, sexually explicit photographs, and he paid him a huge sum of money. And as a result, this young man had taken up a crack cocaine habit and it had ruined his ruined his life. And the reason it came out in the red top was that the parents of this young man went to the Sun newspaper, they told their story, and they said that they had complained to the BBC about this and their complaints had fallen on deaf ears and they'd had no responses whatsoever. And all they wanted to do was to get this chap to stop paying their son, to try to help their son out of his addiction. Now this was hot on the heels of a Philip Schofield scandal, which in itself was same, same, but different. In Philip Schofield's case, we discussed the fact that, you know, It was an employee of ITV that had been introduced by uh, Philip Schofield that in Philip Schofield's case, there was a lot of allegations of grooming and stuff like that, which was not proved. But it was it was similar with Hugh Edwards. Um, People were speculating that he had engaged in something that was underage with Mm. uh, with with a young man. And it was all speculation and all allegation. But I think in this furore that had followed the Schofield affair suddenly the Hugh Edwards affair comes in and so what I'd like to do today is actually compare and contrast how ITV handled their situation which we've been Lyle and I have been very critical about yeah with how the BBC handled their situation exactly and, and were any lessons learned from that and has the BBC done anything different what do you think well, this is intriguing. There's lots to there's lots to cover there, and I thought you've explained that. I, I think you've explained that absolutely brilliantly. Has it been confirmed that it was a young man that that was the centre of the Hugh Edwards thing? Is was it a young man that was because I I think the sec there was another person who was it, it was a young well there were lots of complications after that yeah. because then as is usual in these situations another man came young man came forward and said that. He'd been contacted by Hugh Edwards on a dating app and yeah. this man, that Hugh Edwards had been very nasty to him and left him scared. And then there were other allegations that came out within the BBC of junior members of staff saying that he'd been very nasty to them as yeah. well. And there was a bit of a pylon. Yeah. If- the truth be known. And I've heard, you know, again, again I'm going to be very, very careful here. You know, people I work with, you know, have kind of mentioned in passing that, you know, there are other skeletons in the closet possibly, but it's speculation, it's, you know, speculative. And what's very interesting is, you know, again, just for our worldwide listeners, but also some UK listeners, this will be news to them because they haven't necessarily followed it as closely. What was then very interesting is that in the Sun newspaper, the second, it, it almost happened concurrently within one another. You know, we had, yeah. who is it, who is it, who is it? The Sun were 
threatening to release more you know information more young people were you know rumored to be you know sort of coming out with more information more allegations the parents of the young people apparently had an agreement in place and they might still have an agreement in place with talk tv and gb news you know to go and do interviews for sums of money and then hugh edwards wife and there's something to discuss there as well the fact that it was hugh edwards wife that announced that he was the presenter in question releases the statement and more or less within seconds the sun announced that they're not going to release any further allegations whether they have any yeah. or not is another story but they just said okay enough's enough and that then led to some criticism because it was like oh, okay so now a statement's been released that you push someone potentially to breaking point and again that could be speculative that's just we're taking someone's word for that we know I mean, he's he struggled is, with his mental he health. in a mental facility isn't he yeah. he's breakdown and he's... we know he struggled with his mental health in the past that's something that's been confirmed and he's you know struggled with depression and obviously you have to treat that very very sensitively of course you do and, and i'm sure he's he's experiencing all sorts of things at the moment you know, none of them particularly good but yeah i mean then the sun faced criticism in my opinion actually quite rightly which is like oh okay you've been very reactive you know oh now you're going to stop because you know that you know you're going to face criticism for pushing a man to the edge and all this sort of stuff but i mean again minutes before i say minutes that might be an exaggeration minutes before the name was announced we and hours before i think it actually was was the police announced that there was no criminal case to answer that they'd looked into it the and victim yeah. himself engaged a lawyer to make a statement to say it was all rubbish yeah yeah and so yeah that this person's lawyer nonsense that and then there were claims and counterclaims that there might have been a deal behind the scenes it always is very very murky my opinion actually the answer to your question is is that actually and i can't i i, I was speaking to my in-laws about this uh this week i couldn't believe what i was saying when i said it i actually think they've done remarkably well I actually think the I think BBC done have a done lot better than ITV did. I think the BBC have done very, very well. I think, and I don't even particularly like saying that because we've we spoke at length about how they didn't deal with the Gary Lineker thing particularly no, well, didn't. and I know they're not comparable. Gary Lineker had done nothing wrong at all. He, you know, sort of, you know, was outspoken, and yes, was his messaging aligned with the BBC's messaging about a particular significant topic? No. And should he have spoken, you know, we had our opinions on that, of course we did, but there was no criminality, there was nothing illegal that had gone on, there was nothing unethical that had gone on with uh, with Gary Lineker. But given how poorly they dealt with that particular crisis, I actually thought they dealt with this crisis <laughs> remarkably well. I, you know, I, I, I you know, yeah, I think they. I think I'll go middle ground with you. I'll not say they did it very well. Mm. I think they did it okay, and yeah. certainly a lot better than they dealt with the Gary Lineker crisis. But I'll say why I don't think they did it very well. Okay, and this is where it comes back to what I've said all along. It'd be really interesting as well because the chief executive Davy is being brought in front of the parliamentary yeah. committee, just like the dame from ITV was as well. So. Mm. Here's the thing, just like with ITV, it was preventable. Oh, yeah. If they had the right systems in place, was preventable. Mm. Or at least it was something that could be damage limited mm. uh, a lot better than, than they, they managed to happen. So here's the problem, that why, why it was preventable. Mm. From the point of the parents making their complaint, it took seven weeks for the chief executive of the BBC to know about that complaint. Crazy, isn't it? Which is crazy. And that was only because it had come out in a newspaper. Mm. You would think that if one of your lead presenters, somebody with huge credibility who 
as a persona represents your brand, mm. you would think that if some spurious claim was made about that presenter, a couple of things might happen. You would think, you would think that that might be escalated mm. quite high into the ranks, but no, no senior executive found out about this until it came out in the Sun newspaper. But they did know about it in the complaints department of the BBC. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is when that complaint did come to the desk of the CEO, they didn't speak to the person concerned because they were, and in his own words, they were finding out whether there was any truth to the allegations. Well, how could the BBC find out whether there was any truth to the allegations without talking to the person that they were that these these things were alleged against? And I found it remarkable as well that they decided to die on the bit of the hill. I'm sure you're going to get onto this actually, which was that they announced while this scandal was unraveling across the four days before we even knew it was Hugh Edwards. There were obviously criticisms levelled at the BBC for not responding to the allegations appropriately at the time they were made, you know, sort of seven, eight weeks prior to obviously this being revealed. And they decided to die on the hill. Oh, oh, we did. We wrote to them and we didn't get an email back. And then we tried to call them and we got to the answer machine. So we didn't try and call them again. It's like, so hang on a minute. Yeah, so, 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 so these are allegations against they... your, like your, one of your flagship presenters, like the guy, you know, I often describe Hugh Edwards and, and, and I get a lot of stick for this because, you know, Tom Jones, Anthony Hopkins, et cetera, et cetera. But Hugh Edwards is one of the most famous British people well, ever, because if, if you look at fame in terms of exposure and how many people have watched him on TV, He's one of the most watched people ever in the history of British television because he's always on the most watched news channel on planet Earth. So this is your flagship guy. He announced the, you know, the 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 death of our of our queen. You know, he covered the coronation. He covered COVID. He was like in our front rooms. He's, you know, one of your flagship guys. And you wrote an email and made one phone call in an attempt to get to the bottom of these allegations against one of your main guys. And they decided that that was like, oh no, we did try. No, 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 no. That's not was, trying. You know, it was paltry. Now, yeah. you and I, like, we don't know how many complaints come into the BBC's complaints office. We mm. don't. We don't know. Mm. But the reason I say it's preventable, and the things I'd like to see them put in place, are some processes mm. that, I mean, young people call them red flags. Yeah. Red flags. <laughs> you know, this was a red flag, mm. and. Why on earth they didn't even escalate it to HR, to have HR speak to the person involved? It, to me, is I just don't understand it. It's ineptitude at best. Yeah. But for me, I think it might be a little bit of sweeping these things away. They'll go away. Yeah. We I won't have, have yeah. to deal with it. And then what happens is, and here's the shocker, Let's be real about this. Yeah. If this was somebody's uncle or somebody's family member and they got caught up in this sort of allegation of lewd behaviour, yeah. you know, it wouldn't be something that you would put on, you know, on the front pages of any newspapers. It's just, it is bad behaviour. Let's face it. It's not, the, it's distasteful, mm. but it's something that he has done in his personal life and we are not the people to sit on capitol hill and judge this man yeah, yeah. because he made 
some it was a bit distasteful or we what we might might think is a silly mistake he hadn't groomed this kid he hadn't physically done anything to me hadn't harmed him the police have said there's no investigation to be had the 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 young man himself says this is all rubbish anyway what's going on you know let's face it he may well be going through a midlife crisis having certain urges that he wanted to you know explore and he just got found out about it it's a bit lurid and it's a bit lewd but he hasn't killed anybody Mm, i agree he hasn't he hasn't hurt anybody the the parents were trying to allege that he was giving this boy this money and and he'd ruined his life because this money had come to him he spent it all on crack cocaine and all they were trying to do was stop the money coming to their son well i think it's a bit odd don't you go to the they could have gone to their mp they could have got. They could have gone to. They could have gone through other channels than to go to the Sun newspaper, who I'm sure paid them very handsomely for their story. And this is where the communications side of it comes into it, isn't it? This is really interesting because I think, I think even, I'm not even gonna stick my neck on the line and mention any other newspapers, right? I'm not. I'm not going to be that guy because I'll just get you know, listeners all right in in their ones and be like. Oh, but you know, you're just so I'm not going to do that. But I think the choice of newspaper definitely coloured this situation because it's a tale as old as time, right? So the Sun is, I believe, part of Murdoch's like empire, this kind of news of the world kind of mirror group thing, and you know, it's it's murky. You know that what was dragged up when it came to the Sun during this four day kind of period of time where we didn't even know it was Hugh Edwards was, well, this is the same like, Sun newspaper. Like national who done it, wasn't it? Yeah. And and so yeah, we're gonna come on to that in a second as well. Because yeah. I think that's 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 a that there's there's duality there in terms of wrongdoing, I think. But it, but you know, people were kind of bringing up, I mean the one example I can think of was like, you know, there's you know, this is the same Sun newspaper that famously or infamously rather, I'd rather use infamously actually given what I'm about to say, had a countdown with every edition of their paper for how many days before a certain girl turned 16 so she could be a model in their paper. And they seem to think that was okay. But what Hugh Edwards, who we now know to be Hugh Edwards, has done is oh, wow, we're going to stand on this moral, you know, mountain and we're going to be the bastions of all morals and ethics. And it's like, hang on a minute, not two decades ago, you literally had a countdown for how long it would be okay for us to gawp at a person and it be legal. So there was that. And I think so there's there's an example of the choice of newspaper being. But I think again as well, I mean, there are certain, I mean, I I can't claim to be, you know, up to scratch on, on the legal ramifications of certain things, but you are so right. And I think it's a great place to head to next. You're so right about this whodunit vibe, because what it then led to was it's Graham Norton. It's Jeremy Vine. It's Rylan Clark. It's Clive Myrie. We're having all these allegations made against them just because they were BBC presenters. And then you had Jeremy Vine. It was an extraordinary clip. Jeremy Vine was on his way into the BBC studios to host his radio show and was questioned about whether or not it was him. And he said, oh, well, obviously it's not me. But then he kind of went one step further, didn't he, Jeremy Vine? And he said, I think whoever it is should say. Yeah, they were all, I think, why we can't say because yeah. of the legal ramifications of if we reveal who it is but i think, I think i'm a i'm a living breathing reason as to why they should say because it's really affecting me 
you know, it's yeah, really I mean, affecting the other people. Know, Nikki Campbell, another really famous presenter, yeah. had to take legal advice on the the kind of stuff that was being thrown at him across social media. I mean, it was all a bit of a S show. Yeah, um, and if the BBC had got all these processes sorted out in the first place, none of this should have no. could or would have ever happened because they'd have dealt with the complaint. I just think I, I just think it was able to escalate very quickly. Two lucky, so one lucky break that the BBC got was that Hugh Edwards' wife, also an ex-BBC employee, made the statement about him being the, the person that the allegations were being made about. And she also, in her statement, said, he's having a breakdown. He'll talk to you in his own good time, but please, for goodness sake, just leave us alone at the moment to try and heal, basically, and deal with this. And you almost saw a kind of like a whoop come down, you know, mm-hmm. obviously there was a kind of like the reaction to, to her statement. But I think, think the, the heat was taken out of the situation, no, the yeah. pin the balloon and the whodunit ended. And, you know, fair play to her to taking that brave move, because I think it was very brave to do it. And it was the right move. And I'm not sure how much support that she got from the BBC um, in no. having to do that as well. I doubt it. So then you see, is it Tim Davy? I, I, I'm not. Tim Davy, yeah. Tim Davy. Yeah. Yeah. So then you see Tim Davy. And this is where I thought he was good. Mm. So let's see the good and bad. The good is that he came and talked. He went on his own vehicles. He went on Radio 4 and I think he went on Newsnight. But he went and talked about this situation from a BBC standpoint mm. and I do think that was a good thing to do because everybody is squawking about how the BBC including us about how the BBC handles things and at least he stood up to face the music and said we were in a very difficult situation we didn't know if the allegations were true or if they weren't mm. we had done something yeah. and he accepted that something was d- definitely not enough but at least he gave the corporation's perspective, which is not what ITV did. Mm. ITV sort of hid and didn't say anything and no, tried to take yeah. the, the the royal approach. Which he is, came out, didn't he? He came out and kind of def- and and sort of offered up some sort of explanation, a defence. Unusually yeah. for him, his performance, if you can call it that. I mean, I don't mean performance in the sense that it was any way faux or false, but actually how he performed when he when he put up his defense was praised in some circles because he was informative, he was specific, he was as revelatory as he could afford to be. And and he fronted up and, and he's going to continue to front up, which is and, and, and this is the interesting let's talk about the different roles that yeah. Carolyn McCall have and he has the different the ITV is not a publicly funded TV station. Whereas the BBC, we pay for the BBC out of our taxpayers' money. We pay a licence fee. And he's always treading the tightrope. Yeah, treading on the tightrope of whether they're going to withdraw that as a source of funding from uh, from the government or having to go sort of, having to defend this sort of public broadcasting status and trying to keep that funding coming through yeah his position is described by some sometimes as like almost ministerial because actually you know it's kind of it's not a political vehicle but that's almost the reason why he is almost a minister for 
broadcasting if you like because it's it, it can't it can't afford to be political so he's constantly having yeah, to justify they, they say they're not but yeah they i know yeah well i think there's <laughs> it's fairly clear quite often when you watch him you don't have to be you don't have to be a political scientist or indeed a scientist of any definition to kind of watch and see that it can occasionally be political but i was going to get on to actually you know so i mean we'll probably go back on to tim davy as well at some point in the response here but what what was your take on the reporting of the story by the story because well, and what i mean by that is the bbc were having to report on themselves weren't they yeah, yeah it was do you know what it was it's fascinating to watch on so many different levels because when it started unfolding it was all a big who done it which honestly they should have put the pin in that as no, quickly no. as they could have done that's so that built the media up into a frenzy yeah. you know kind of like and and it became front page news when there was a Indian train crash killing 300 people. Oh, nobody cares about that. All we want to know is who's the presenter in this scandal. It's just, please. Yeah. You know, Ukraine is it, it, trying to get into NATO, much more important. And who's the presenter? Just yeah. rubbish. You know, you just, it, I, I despair sometimes. But unfortunately, <laughs> that sort of gave so much fuel to that fire. Yeah. And then, you know, following that, because it had been built up and up and up and up, then there has to become the analysis of Hugh Edwards and why was he, you know, what and and, and an analysis of his career. And as soon as the big reveal happened, because mm. all the journalists had to keep the story going, it's reported that Hugh Edwards himself was very disappointed with the way the BBC journalists. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Him. But you see, you look at the BBC guys. Uh, they all say, well, we have to protect our journalistic integrity and present the story as we see it. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant as whether this is a BBC journalist or not. We and so they were all trying to prove their sort of their own platforms mm. as well. So it was just a really interesting maelstrom on what I dare can I dare say was pretty much a non-story. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, this is something that, and, and you can dare say it, and I think it's a very important point to make, which is that actually, and I spoke to, I was doing a, a rehearsal and development for a musical when this broke, and brilliant cast, brilliant team, um, many of whom I'd met for the first time that week, it was lovely, and it broke when we were on a break, basically, it broke when we were on a lunch break, and I spoke to one or two people who were in the cast just about it, you know, it's one of those things you talk about. And my gut reaction, it's interesting how things then change and your kind of your viewpoint of things change when you hear, you know, it's court of public opinion style stuff. You hear, you know, friend of a friend's brother's sister's uncle's nephew, third removed, knows Hugh Edwards' barber. Uh, Do you know what I mean? And like, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's it's one of those things where, and then it gets a bit coloured and things like that. But I tend to kind of revert back to what my gut instinct was. My gut instinct was that, you know, it really is none of our business. I mean, provided there's no case to answer criminally. But even then, like, there will be... This, uh, this is a really strange point to make, but I'm going to make it anyway. There will be a crime. I mean, it, it goes back to something that we spoke about right at the top of this podcast, at the top of this episode, which is, you know, something that happened in in your um in, in your kitchen. You know, this man in your kitchen and, and Ludo intervening, right? If I didn't know who you were and I wasn't, you know, a colleague and a friend of yours and a, a co-host of this podcast, I would have no idea that that crime had been committed. And there are crimes and there are unethical and immoral things happening out my window right now that I have, I'm, I'm blissfully ignorant of. You know, and it's a shame to think about them. But when I when I'm just thinking normally, I I, I don't 
I don't process those things. The criminality is is unseen half the time, but there was no, there wasn't even a criminal case to answer. This was something that was distasteful and you know unethical to a very great extent. But if it wasn't for the fact that it was Hugh Edwards, none of us would know about it. You know, this happening all the time. And this is the other and, thing. Now, yeah. and this is the other part of my argument with organisations like the BBC. We discussed Gary Lineker at great mm. length and saying he's quite within his rights to say what he wants to say on his social yeah. media. And if the BBC didn't like that, well, they, they had no leg to stand on, really, mm. because they hadn't made it clear to him what his what the rules were. And this may well be a similar... And I know it sounds stupid. You might you might say to me, well, Jackie, you know, it's clear it's not very good behaviour from a public figure to go chatting away to young boys and asking them to do compromising things. No, it's not the best behaviour in the world. And of course, I and I then move over to the parents who I... I'm sure it was incredibly distressing for mm. them because they don't want to see their son involved in in that kind of sordid, I think is the word they used, event. But at the end of the day, if Hugh Edwards is supposed to be a representative of your brand mm. and you have given him specific instructions of what being that person is about, then of course, you know, if he breaks the rules that he's agreed to abide by, then, of course, you know, that would stand you in good stead when you're talking about suspending somebody from their job. Mm. And, you know, but if he hasn't done a criminal act, if he hasn't broken the rules of engagement that he's been employed on, yeah, it's distasteful. It's not very nice. And he's probably done himself, you know, no favours whatsoever in the standing and in the community. And, I, you know, in these things, I don't know how you make your way back. From oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's a sad, sad thing. That's punishment enough, you know? I was going to ask you, actually. I mean, I mean, what do you think the future holds for him? I mean, do you think he goes back or do you think he's, do you think that's it now? I mean, you know, it's, I was actually having this conversation. I, I, I kind of loosely speculated. And again, it's just odd to speculate, but I speculated that like there's a strong, in my opinion, there's a chance he'll be back, but possibly not on the BBC. And again, it's this really interesting thing, isn't it? Of like reputation meets practical like process like you know any other organization would like to try would potentially try to practically reintegrate someone of the reputation of Hugh Edwards back into their channel back into their service but because the BBC is currently dealing with a bit of a reputational crisis in and of itself anyway because of you know its funding and its requirement to be apolitical and it's not meeting that requirement fairly obviously at times. And then there's obviously how it's dealt with certain presenters and it's how much it pays. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of Gary Lineker's and I'm a big fan of how he dealt with his own crisis, but calling a spade a spade. I found it very interesting that on the eve of Hugh Edwards being announced or being revealed to be this person at the center of this scandal, it was the annual, let's tell everybody how much we pay our top 10 presenters on the BBC. And he was fourth. You know, he was the fourth highest paid presenter on the BBC. Gary Lineker has paid £1.2 million pounds a year. Right? Zoe Ball's paid £900,000 a year. So rightly or wrongly... What's he getting a year? He's getting... He's come down, apparently, ironically. Um, but I think it's upwards of 400 a year, 400000 500000 a year. So a huge amount of money. Amount. So, and this is the thing. So it's a reputational thing. So I, I can't... I, th- I think I'm with you. I can't see him going back to the BBC. But I speculated that he might well end up back on the TV at some point. I mean, that, that's that's not rule that out. Or, will, or do you I mean, think I, he'll ride off into the distance, you know? I really don't know. What I find equally distasteful as what he did is actually how he 
has literally been run through the mill mm. for it by the media. And I don't know whether he can come back from this in that way. It, I think he will probably come and tell his side of the story at some stage when he's mentally capable of it. You know, we talk, you and I talk a lot about mental health and, you know, to see, to see somebody quite as attacked as he was is just mm. really horrible. Yeah. And, you know, public figure or no public figure, he's still a human being. And we all, we're all fallible. We all do the wrong thing. I'm I'm not saying for a minute I defend what he did. I, mm. I, I think it's stupid and disgusting personally but other people might think it was disgusting you know they might just think it's titillation or whatever but yeah you know on my compass it's re- and if it was my son involved I would be as upset as those parents were but their motivation for going to the sun I question I'm I think that you know I think the whole thing could have been handled so much better and and I come back to process and I come back to expectation setting with your staff and with your talent and how you manage your talent and to make sure that they know the boundaries of behavior and what they're expected to do and you might say oh it's just common sense but you can't say oh it's just common sense you need to put these things down in writing you know it's just common sense that I don't come up and slap you Lyle but I'm not allowed to slap you because it's against the law that's the law yeah. And the equally in contracts, you set out in your contract what your if somebody's representing your company, what their brand should you know, what your brand is and what your brand values are. And yeah, and, and on and on and on. I talk about this all the time. But, you know, this organizational collapse around all of this was really bad. But I do think from a, a handling it when it came to actually talking about it, when Tim Davey thought he could talk about it. I thought that thought that was it. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I completely agree with you. I thought I thought he did very well, and I think it's also one of those things where you've got to be careful what you wish for, right? You've got to be, you know, some someone I will just kind of bring this episode to a close with might well be, you know, and I, again, I hate to speculate, but you know, we we've got to, you know, this is all we can do on the podcast, offer our opinion. What might well end up being a topic of a podcast moving forward is just like a very similar, do a bit of a callback some of our listeners might be aware of someone called Dan Wooten, who is currently in the eye of a particular storm. He's a GB news presenter. He's formerly been a Sun journalist. He's formerly been like an entertainment contributor on things like, you know, This Morning and et cetera, for TV, um, New Zealand. And he, was very, and he was very, very vocal when it came to the Philip Schofield scandal because he worked with Philip Schofield. Yeah, tremendously vocal. And he's also been very vocal about the fact that, you know, he thought Hugh Edwards should just kind of front up and say who who he was straight away and you know he's hiding behind this and he's hiding behind that he's now the subject of allegations in and of himself of you know misbehaving and you know I'll admit you know we all have our faults and like you say we're all fallible I'll admit like kind of my gut reaction because I don't particularly like the guy was oh uh you know my 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 initial split second reaction to these allegations was ah they've got you now blah blah, blah. and then I rationalized it a bit more and I went look you know you, you it's fine not to like somebody but be careful what you wish for, right? Mm. Because, you know, legal court, the court of law mm. will find people out, right? Mm. And professional process will ensure that people who have misbehaved and not followed company rules will pay the price with their job. They'll lose their jobs. But none of these things will matter. And I'm going to be a bit extreme here and a bit somber. None of these things will matter if they're not here anymore. None of these things will matter to them or to the police or to lawyers, or to employers, if anything, they'll matter the other way, Mm. right? 
they will then be the ones being dragged through quite rightly because they'll have they'll have pushed people, right? Yeah. Call, and- call it call it how it is. Call a spade a spade, and then be done with it, right? Yeah. There are other things going on. And exactly. Yeah. No. And just be and be sensitive to these things. We don't learn our lessons either. You know, we don't learn our lessons. People who've done nothing wrong, nothing immoral, nothing unethical, nothing distasteful, are hounded and harassed and harangued to the point where we've lost them. They know they they are no longer here. They're in the ether. And we need to be very, very careful. You can you can have an opinion on somebody and you can think those things to your heart's content or otherwise, to your heart's discontent, as it were. But be kind, you know, and go and due you always say due process, due process, right? Okay, you know, if due process had been followed here, the BBC would have followed up on the allegation seven weeks ago. They had named Hugh Edwards, they they suspended him, by the way, without even naming who he was. So all of a sudden we had a presenter has been suspended well then okay great who is that you know surely you'd think if if something contractual has happened the suspension of an employment you should name who that person is and i know there were reasons why they didn't do that but you're so right the reason he is so rock bottom now obviously he isn't he is by no means without fault one of the big reasons he's at rock bottom is because he's behaved badly but the bbc's process the sun's reporting of it hasn't helped so it, I, the key takeaway would be this and that's my opinion is let's try and it's never going to happen you know this is like a, you know <laughs> this is me, me being really pie in the sky no, I just think if let's try and just one and done it let's get let's, yeah. let's just try and call it out and then move on you know let's let's try and do that i agree, I agree. Yeah. and uh, you know one step towards that was tim davy facing some questions yeah. and you know and let's hope that they start to really think about. And I think there's been new appointments within the BBC recently of people coming in, another dame whose mm-hmm. name I forget, yeah. uh, to maybe help with this approaching uh, potential disaster situations in a much better way before they get blown up. And and the damage is irretrievable sometimes. And that's just... You know what the BBC needs? You know what the BBC and ITV needs? Just to finish this podcast need, off. Yeah. The BBC and ITV <laughs> need, need a Ludo. Need someone who can just solve it straight up, right? That that there's a nice circularity about how we finish this episode. What up. they need an attack dog? Yeah, attack dog. Yeah, I mean, I'm not for a second saying that they needed a dog to attack Hugh Edwards. Uh, that that if, if don't clip me on that, you know, that's but they no, need but someone. They need a bit you know, more direct action. Yes. In terms of how you prevent these things happening in the first place would be a really would never go amiss would it absolutely would never ever go amiss well i mean i'm sure this is going to run and run and we will absolutely discuss this you know i mean there will probably be an interview of sorts to respond to but yeah i think we've you know i I think we're both on the same page and i think yeah the bottom line is you know like due process get out of the way be kind they need to start just like nipping these things in the bud earlier you know i mean they need to start seeing the problem seeing the root causes and it's not like they're hidden. It's not like there's this like unseen impact, right? Okay, people. I are think. I think also we haven't we haven't touched on it. And it's probably opening a can of worms right now. Mm. But I think also the BBC is a bit bruised by what happened with Jimmy Savile and mm. Rolf Harris, yeah. two very awful, extreme cases. And I think that, and they're equally bruised by getting it so wrong with Richard. Yeah, I, I think they just need to spend a bit of time thinking about what they've learned from all those scenarios and putting a you know putting things right at their you know right at the start of these things right absolutely couldn't agree more 100 and uh listeners you can rest assured that the mistakes the bbc are making we hear the rest of yeah. <laughs> every day week in week out you know we're, we're getting better and you can be part of it 
listeners. This is a nice way yeah. to segue into some T's and C's. You can be part of it if you want to come on the podcast. And uh, Hugh, hey, wouldn't that be a coup? Hugh, if you want to come on and have a chat, we'd love to talk to you. You know, I'd, I'd have to brush up on like very specific questions. Uh, <laughs> it'd certainly be the biggest moment of my career. Um, but we would love to talk to you. But yeah, listeners, if you want to come on the podcast, if you want to be a guest on our podcast, we'd absolutely, we've got some amazing guests lined up and you could be one of them. You can get in touch with us, info at therestispr.com or info at demozo.com. And you can go to those respective websites, therestispr.com and demozo.com for all things podcast and all things Demozo. You can also follow us on Twitter at the rest is PR, capital T, capital R, capital I, capital PR. Being very active on that at the moment. Uh, we're, we're putting out some very wholesome content about our episodes as opposed to the speculation of the last two, three weeks as to who this presenter was. We now know who it was, of course. And you can also get in touch with us via LinkedIn as well. Jackie and myself, uh, Lara Falls and Jackie Bores, drop us a message. We'd be very happy to respond to messages uh, on LinkedIn. Jackie, same time next week. We're very, very close to the wedding, so we're going to have to do something, you know, it's something potentially wedding. We're going to have to do some know. fillers, Lyle. <laughs> some fillers, some fillers. And hey, listeners, be ready for the for the fly on the wall, rest is oh. people at the wedding. We'll see if yes. I can try and do something we'll like do that. Something. I'll, I'll, I'll come up with something. The text definitely there. You know, we, we can figure <laughs> something out. But in the meantime, listeners, thank you so much for joining us once again on the latest episode of the rest of the Jackie and myself, it's bye for now.